Chapter Twenty One of The Hour of the Dragon by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Drums of Peril. Confirmation of the war came when the army of Poitain, ten thousand strong, marched through the southern passes with waving banners and shimmer of steel. And at their head, the spy swore, rode a giant figure in black armor with the royal line of Aquilonia worked in gold upon the breast of his rich silken surcoat. Conan lived. The king lived. There was no doubt of it in men's minds now, whether friend or foe. With the news of the invasion from the south, there also came word, brought by hard-riding couriers, that the host of Gundermen was moving southward, reinforced by the barons of the northwest and the northern Bosonians. Tarascus marched with thirty-one thousand men to Galparan on the river Shiki, which the Gundermen must cross to strike at the towns still held by the Nemedians. The Shiki was a swift, turbulent river, rushing southwestward through rocky gorges and canyons, and there were few places where an army could cross at that time of the year when the stream was almost bankful with the melting of the snows. All the country east of Shiki was in the hands of the Nemedians, and it was logical to assume that the Gundermen would attempt to cross either at Galparan or Tanasol, which lay to the south of Galparan. Reinforcements were daily expected from Nemedia, until word came that the king of Ophir was making hostile demonstrations on Nemedia's southern border, and to spare any more troops would be to expose Nemedia to the risk of an invasion from the south. Amalric and Valerius moved out from Tarantia with twenty-five thousand men, leaving as large a garrison as they dared to discourage revolts in the cities during their absence. They wished to meet and crush Conan before he could be joined by the rebellious forces of the kingdom. The king and his Poitanians had crossed the mountains, but there had been no actual clash of arms, no attack on towns or fortresses. Conan had appeared and disappeared. Apparently he had turned westward through the wild, thinly settled hill country and entered the Bassonian marches, gathering recruits as he went. Amalric and Valerius, with their host, Nemedians, Aquilonian renegades, and ferocious mercenaries, moved through the land in baffled wrath, looking for a foe which did not appear. Amalric found it impossible to obtain more than vague general tidings about Conan's movements. Scouting parties had a way of riding out and never returning, and it was not uncommon to find a spy crucified to an oak. The countryside was up and striking, as peasants and country folk strike, savagely, murderously, and secretly. All that Amalric knew certainly was that a large force of Gundermen and northern Bosonians was somewhere to the north of him, beyond the Shiki, and that Conan, with a smaller force of Pointanians and southern Bosonians, was somewhere to the southwest of him. He began to grow fearful that if he and Valerius advanced further into the wild country, Conan might elude them entirely, march around them, and invade the central provinces behind them. Amalric fell back to the Shiki Valley, and camped in a plain a day's ride from Tanasul. There 
he waited tarascus maintained his position at galparan for he feared that conan's maneuvers were intended to draw him southward and so let the gundermand into the kingdom at the northern crossing to amalric's camp came zaltotun in his chariot drawn by the uncanny horses that never tired and he entered amalric's tent where the baron conferred with valerius over a map spread on an ivory camp table this map zaltotun crumpled and flung aside what your scouts cannot learn for you quoth he my spies tell me though their information is strangely blurred and imperfect as if unseen forces were working against me conan is advancing along the shirki river with ten thousand poitanians three thousand southern bosonians and barons of the west and south with their retainers to the number of five thousand an army of thirty thousand gundermen and northern bosonians is pushing southward to join him they have established contact by means of secret communications used by the cursed priest of asura who seemed to be opposing me and whom i will feed to a serpent when the battle is over i swear it by set both armies are headed for the crossing at tanasul but i do not believe that the gundermen will cross the river i believe that conan will cross instead and join them why should conan cross the river because it is to his advantage to delay the battle the longer he waits the stronger he will become the more precarious our position the hills on the other side of the river swarm with people passionately loyal to his cause broken men refugees fugitives from valerius's cruelty from all over the kingdom men are hurrying to join his army singly and by companies daily parties from our armies are ambushed and cut to pieces by the country folk revolt grows in the central provinces and will soon burst into open rebellion the garrisons we left there are not sufficient and we can hope for no reinforcements from nemedia for the time being i see the hand of polantides in this brawling on the ophirian border he has kin in ophir if we do not catch and crush conan quickly the provinces will be in a blaze of revolt behind us we shall have to fall back to tarantia to defend what we have taken and we may have to fight our way through a country in rebellion with conan's whole force at our heels and then stand siege in the city itself with enemies within as well as without no we cannot wait we must crush conan before his army grows too great before the central provinces rise with his head hanging above the gate of tarantia you will see how quickly the rebellion will fall apart why do you not put a spell on his army to slay them all asked valerius half in mockery zaltotun stared at the aquilonian as if he read the full extent of the mocking madness that lurked in those wayward eyes do not worry he said at last my arts shall crush conan finally like a lizard under the heel but even sorcery is aided by pikes and swords if he crosses the river and takes up his position at the goralian hills he may be hard to dislodge said almaric but if we catch him in the valley on this side of the river we can wipe him out how far is conan from tanasul 
At the rate he is marching, he should reach the crossing sometime tomorrow night. His men are rugged, and he is pushing them hard. He should arrive there at least a day before the gundermen. Good! Amalric smote the table with his clenched fist. I can reach Tanasol before he can. I'll send riders to Taraskus, bidding him to follow me to Tanasol. By the time he arrives, I will have cut Conan off from the crossing and destroyed him. Then our combined force can cross the river and deal with the gundermen. Zaltotun shook his head impatiently. A good plan if you were dealing with anyone but Conan. But your twenty-five thousand men are not enough to destroy his eighteen thousand before the gundermen come up. They will fight with the desperation of wounded panthers. And suppose the gundermen come up while the hosts are locked in battle? You will be caught between two fires and destroyed before Taraskus can arrive. He will reach Tanasol too late to aid you. What then? demanded Amalric. Move with your whole strength against Conan, answered the man from Acheron. Send a rider bidding Taraskus join us here. We will wait his coming. Then we will march together to Tanasol. But while we wait, protested Amalric, Conan will cross the river and join the Gundermen. Conan will not cross the river, answered Zaltotun. Amalric's head jerked up, and he stared into the cryptic, dark eyes. What do you mean? Suppose there were torrential rains far to the north, at the head of the Shirki. Suppose the river came down in such flood as to render the crossing at Tanasol impassable. Could we not, then, bring up our entire force at our leisure, catch Conan on this side of the river and crush him, and then, when the flood subsided, which I think it would do the next day, could we not cross the river and destroy the gundermen? Thus we could use our full strength against each of these smaller forces in turn. Valerius laughed, as he always laughed, at the prospect of the ruin of either friend or foe and drew a restless hand jerkily through his unruly yellow locks. Amalric stared at the man from Acheron with mingled fear and admiration. If we caught Conan in Shirki Valley with the hill ridges to his right and the river in flood to his left, he admitted, with our whole force we could annihilate him. Do you think, are you sure, do you believe such rains will fall? I go to my tent, answered Zaltotun, rising. Necromancy is not accomplished by the waving of a wand. Send a rider to Taraskus, and let none approach my tent. That last command was unnecessary. No man in that host could have been bribed to approach that mysterious black silken pavilion, the door flaps of which were always closely drawn. None but Zaltotun ever entered it, yet voices were often heard issuing from it. Its walls billowed sometimes without a wind, and weird music came from it. Sometimes, deep in midnight, its silken walls were lit red by flames flickering within, liming misshapen silhouettes that passed to and fro. Lying in his own tent that night, Amalric heard the steady rumble of a drum in Zaltotun's tent. 
Through the darkness it boomed steadily, and occasionally the Nemedian could have sworn that a deep croaking voice mingled with the pulse of the drum, and he shuddered, for he knew that voice was not the voice of Zaltotun. The drum rustled and murmured on like deep thunder, heard far off, and before dawn Amalric, glancing from his tent, caught the red flicker of lightning afar on the northern horizon. In all other parts of the sky the great stars blazed whitely, but the distant lightning flickered incessantly like the crimson glint of firelight on a tiny turning blade. At sunset of the next day, Tarascus came up with his host, dusty and weary from hard marching, the footmen straggling hours behind the horsemen. They camped in the plain near Amalric's camp, and at dawn the combined army moved westward. Ahead of him roved a swarm of scouts, and Amalric waited impatiently for them to return and tell of the Potanians trapped beside a furious flood. But when the scouts met the column, it was with the news that Conan had crossed the river. "'What?' exclaimed Amalric. "'Did he cross before the flood?' "'There was no flood,' answered the scouts, puzzled. "'Late last night he came up to Tanasol and flung his army across.' "'No flood?' exclaimed Zaltotun, taken aback for the first time in Amalric's knowledge. "'Impossible!' There were mighty rains upon the headwaters of the Shirki last night, and the night before that. That may be, your lordship, answered the scout. It is true the waters are muddy, and the people of Tanasol said that the river rose perhaps a foot yesterday, but that was not enough to prevent Conan's crossing. Zaltotun's sorcery had failed. The thought hammered in Amalric's brain. His horror of this strange man out of the past had grown steadily since that night in Belverus when he had seen a brown shriveled mummy swell and grow into a living man. And the death of Erastes had changed lurking horror into active fear. In his heart was a grisly conviction that the man, or devil, was invincible. Yet now he had undeniable proof of his failure yet even the greatest of necromancers might fail occasionally thought the baron at any rate he dared not oppose the man from acheron yet orestes was dead writhing in mithra only knew what nameless hell and amalric knew his sword would scarcely prevail where the black wisdom of the renegade priest had failed what grisly abomination Zaltotun plotted lay in the unpredictable future? Conan and his host were a present menace against which Zaltotun's wizardry might well be needed before the play was all played. They came to Tanasol, a small fortified village, at the spot where a reef of rocks made a natural bridge across the river, passable always except in times of greatest flood. Scouts brought in news that Conan had taken up his position in the Garalian hills, which began to rise a few miles beyond the river. And just before sundown the Gundermen had arrived in his camp. Amalric looked at Zaltotun, inscrutable and alien in the light of the flaring torches. Night had fallen. "'What now?' 
your magic has failed conan confronts us with an army nearly as strong as our own and he has the advantage of position we have a choice of two evils to camp here and await his attack or to fall back toward tarantia and await reinforcements we are ruined if we wait answered saltotun cross the river and camp on the plain we will attack at dawn but his position is too strong exclaimed amalric fool a gust of passion broke the veneer of the wizard's calm have you forgotten valkia because some obscure elemental principle prevented the flood do you deem me helpless i had intended that your spears should exterminate our enemies but do not fear it is my arts that shall crush their host conan is in a trap he will never see another sunset cross the river they crossed by the flare of torches the hoofs of the horses clinked on the rocky bridge splashed through the shallows the glint of torches on shields and breastplates was reflected redly in the black water the rock bridge was broad on which they crossed but even so it was past midnight before the host was camped in the plain beyond above them they could see fires winking redly in the distance conan had turned at bay in the Goralian hills which had more than once before served as the last stand of an aquilonian king amalric left his pavilion and strode restlessly through the camp a weird glow flickered in zaltotun's tent and from time to time a demoniacal cry slashed the silence and there was a low sinister muttering of a drum that rustled rather than rumbled amalric his instincts whetted by the night and the circumstances felt that zaltotun was opposed by more than physical force doubts of the wizard's power assailed him he glanced at the fires high above him and his face set in grim lines he and his army were deep in the midst of a hostile country up there among those hills lurked thousands of wolfish figures out of whose hearts and souls all emotion and hope had been scourged except a frenzied hate for their conquerors a mad lust for vengeance defeat meant annihilation retreat through a land swarming with blood-mad enemies and on the morrow he must hurl his host against the grimmest fighter in the western nations and his desperate horde if saltotun failed them now half a dozen men-at-arms strode out of the shadows the firelight glinted on their breastplates and helmet crests among them they half led half dragged a gaunt figure in tattered rags saluting they spoke my lord this man came to the outpost and said he desired word with king valerius he is an aquilonian he looked more like a wolf a wolf the traps had scarred old sores that only fetters make showed on his wrists and ankles a great brand the mark of hot iron disfigured his face his eyes glared through the tangle of his matted hair as he half crouched before the baron who are you you filthy dog demanded the nemedian call me tiberius answered the man 
and his teeth clicked in an involuntary spasm. I have come to tell you how to trap Conan. A traitor, eh? rumbled the baron. Men say you have gold, mouthed the man, shivering under his rags. Give some to me. Give me gold, and I will show you how to defeat the king. His eyes glazed widely. His outstretched, upturned hands were spread like quivering claws. Amalric shrugged his shoulder in distaste. But no tool was too base for his use. "'If you speak the truth, you shall have more gold than you can carry,' he said. "'If you are a liar and a spy, I will have you crucified head down. Bring him along.' In the tent of Valerius... The baron pointed to the man who crouched shivering before them, huddling his rags about him. He says he knows a way to aid us on the morrow. We will need his aid if Zaltotun's plan is no better than it has proved so far. Speak on, dog. The man's body writhed in strange convulsions. Words came in a stumbling rush. Conan camps at the head of the Valley of Lions. It is shaped like a fan, with steep hills on either side. If you attack him tomorrow, you will have to march straight up the valley. You cannot climb the hills on either side. But if King Valerius will deign to accept my service, I will guide him through the hills and show him how he can come upon King Conan from behind. But if it is to be done at all, we must start soon. It is many hours riding for one must go miles to the west then uh, miles to the north then turn eastward and so come into the valley of lions from behind as the gunderman came amalric hesitated tucking his chin in these chaotic times it was not rare to find men willing to sell their souls for a few gold pieces if you lead me astray you will die said valerius you are aware of that are you not the man shivered, but his wide eyes did not waver. If I betray you, slay me. Conan will not dare divide his force, mused Amalric. He will need all his men to repel our attack. He cannot spare any to lay ambushes in the hills. Besides, this fellow knows his hide depends on his leading you as he promised. Would a dog like him sacrifice himself? Nonsense! No, Valerius, I believe the man is honest. Or a greater thief than most, for he would sell his liberator, laughed Valerius. Very well. I will follow the dog. How many men can you spare me? Five thousand should be enough, answered Amalric. A surprise attack on their rear will throw them into confusion, and that will be enough. I shall expect your attack about noon. You will know when I strike, answered Valerius. As Amalric returned to his pavilion, he noted with gratification that Zaltotun was still in his tent, to judge from the blood-freezing cries that shuddered forth into the night air from time to time. When presently he heard the clink of steel and the jingle of bridles in the outer darkness, he smiled again. Valerius had about served his purpose. The baron knew that Conan was like a wounded lion that rends and tears even in his death throes. When Valeria struck from the rear, 
the desperate strokes of the Cimmerian might well wipe his rival out of existence before he himself succumbed. So much the better. Amalric felt he could dispense with Valerius once he had paved the way for a Numidian victory. The five thousand horsemen who accompanied Valerius were hard-bitten Apollonian renegades for the most part. In the still starlight they moved out of the sleeping camp, following the westward trend of the great black masses that rose against the stars ahead of them. Valerius rode at their head, and beside him rode Tiberius, a leather thong about his wrist gripped by a man-at-arms who rode on the other side of him. Others kept close behind with drawn swords. Play us false, and you die instantly, Valerius pointed out. I do not know every sheep path in these hills, but I know enough about the general configuration of the country to know the directions we must take to come in behind the Valley of Lions. See that you do not lead us astray. The man ducked his head, and his teeth chattered as he volubly assured his captor of his loyalty, staring up stupidly at the banner that floated over him, the golden serpent of the old dynasty. Skirting the extremities of the hills that locked the Valley of Lions, they swung wide to the west. An hour's ride, and they turned north, forging through wild and rugged hills, following dim trails and tortuous paths. Sunrise found them some miles northwest of Conan's position, and here the guide turned eastward and led them through a maze of labyrinths and crags. Valerius nodded judging their position by various peaks thrusting up above the others. He had kept his bearings in a general way, and he knew they were still headed in the right direction. But now, without warning, a gray, fleecy mass came billowing down from the north, veiling the slopes, spreading out through the valleys. It blotted out the sun. The world became a blind gray void in which visibility was limited to a matter of yards. Advance became a stumbling, groping muddle. Valerius cursed. He could no longer see the peaks that had served him as guideposts. He must depend wholly upon the traitorous guide. The golden serpent drooped in the windless air. Presently Tiberius seemed himself confused. He halted, stared about uncertainly. "'Are you lost, dog?' demanded Valerius harshly. Listen! Somewhere ahead of them a faint vibration began, the rhythmic rumble of a drum. Conan's drum! exclaimed the Aquilonian. If we are close enough to hear the drum, said Valerius, why do we not hear the shouts and the clang of arms? Surely battle has joined. The gorges and the winds play strange tricks, answered Tiberius, his teeth chattering with the ague that is frequently the lot of men who have spent much time in damp underground dungeons. Listen! Faintly to their ears came a low, muffled roar. They are fighting down in the valley, cried Tiberius. The drum is beating on the heights. Let us hasten. He rode straight on toward the sound of the distant drum, as one who knows his ground at last. Valerius followed, cursing the fog. Then it occurred to him that it would mask his advance. Conan could not see him coming. 
he would be at the Sumerian's back before the noonday sun dispelled the mists. Just now he could not tell what lay on either hand, whether cliffs, thickets, or gorges. The drum throbbed unceasingly, growing louder as they advanced, but they heard no more of the battle. Valerius had no idea toward what point of the compass they were headed. He started as he saw gray rock walls looming through the smoky drifts on either hand, and realized that they were riding through a narrow defile. But the guide showed no sign of nervousness, and Valerius hove a sigh of relief when the walls widened out and became invisible in the fog. They were through the defile. If an ambush had been planned, it would have been made in that pass. But now Tiberius halted again. The drum was rumbling louder, and Valerius could not determine from what direction the sound was coming. Now it seemed ahead of him, now behind, now on one hand or the other. Valerius glared about him impatiently, sitting on his war-horse with wisps of mist curling about him and the moisture gleaming on his armor. Behind him the long line of steel-clad riders faded away and away like phantoms into the mist. "'Why do you tarry, dog?' he demanded. The man seemed to be listening to the ghostly drum. Slowly he straightened in his saddle, turned his head, and faced Valerius, and the smile on his lips was terrible to see. "'The fog is thinning, Valerius,' he said in a new voice, pointing a bony finger. "'Look!' The drum was silent. The fog was fading away. First the crests of cliffs came in sight above the gray clouds, tall and spectral. Lower and lower crawled the mists, shrinking, fading. Valerius started up in his stirrup with a cry that the horsemen echoed behind him. On all sides of them the cliffs towered. They were not in a wide-open valley as he had supposed. They were in a blind gorge walled by sheer cliffs hundreds of feet high. The only entrance or exit was that narrow defile through which they had ridden. Dog! Valerius struck Tiberius full in the mouth with his clenched mailed hand. What devil's trick is this? Tiberius spat out a mouthful of blood and shook with fearful laughter. <laughs> a trick that shall rid the world of a beast. Look, dog! Again Valerius cried out, more in fury than in fear. The defile was blocked by a wild and terrible band of men who stood silent as images, ragged, shock-headed men with spears in their hands, hundreds of them. And up on the cliffs appeared other faces, thousands of faces, wild, gaunt, ferocious faces, marked by fire and steel and starvation. A trick of Conan's, raged Valerius. Conan knows nothing of it, laughed Tiberius. It was the plot of broken men, of men you ruined and turned to beasts. Amalric was right. Conan has not divided his army. We are the rabble who followed him, the wolves who skulked in these hills, the homeless men, the hopeless men. This was our plan, 
and the priests of Asura aided us with their mist. Look at them, Valerius. Each bears the mark of your hand on his body or on his heart. Look at me. Do you not know me? Do you? What of this scar your hangman burned upon me? Once you knew me. Once I was lord of Amelius, the man whose sons you murdered, whose daughters your mercenaries ravished and slew. You said I would not sacrifice myself to trap you? Oh, mighty gods! If I had a thousand lives, I would give them all to buy your doom. And I have bought it. Look on the men you broke, dead men who once played the king. Their hour has come. This gorge is your tomb. Try to climb the cliffs. They are steep. They are high. Try to fight your way back through the defile. Spears will block your path. Boulders will crush you from above. Dog, I will be waiting for you in hell. Throwing back his head, he laughed until the rocks rang. Valerius leaned from his saddle and slashed down with his great sword, severing shoulder bone and breast. Tiberius sank to the earth, still laughing ghastily through a gurgle of gushing blood. The drums had begun again, encircling the gorge with guttural thunder. Boulders came crashing down. Above the screams of dying men shrilled the arrows and blinding clouds from the cliffs. End of chapter 21